This is a Lip Media Podcast. Content discussed on this podcast may be triggering for some individuals. So if you feel like today you can't quite handle it, that's totally fine. You can press pause and come back another day. Remember, we're always going to be here. And if you need immediate help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. everybody welcome to if you don't mind i'm your host madeline Sherrington. good morning if you're listening to this on monday morning i hope it's a nice way to begin your day <laughs> listening to my voice i'm actually recording this at eight o'clock in the morning which is really weird for me usually i i do lots of my recording at night time so i feel a bit sleepy and my partner's in the next room and i don't want to speak super loudly so i'm just like kind of whispering, <laughs> but I need to talk loudly because this is serious. Um, guys, welcome to episode two of season two. Before I introduce the guest for today, can I just say a big thank you to all my new followers um, and new listeners who have discovered the podcast through Lip Media or all the fact that If You Don't Mind was featured on the new and noteworthy section of of Apple Podcasts. So exciting. I am, yeah, I'm just so amazed. I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> but yes, if you're a new listener, welcome. On today's show, we have a lovely lady by the name of Sophie, who's a young lawyer. She's very bright, very bubbly, just lovely to talk to. Um, and we had a pretty intense conversation uh, surrounding uh, sexual assault and complex PTSD. So if that's something that you just are not okay to listen to today, please, please come back when you're ready. Um, Sophie basically told me this really intense, but really brave uh story about how when she was 15 she experienced a sexual assault and because of that she had some pretty severe PTSD from that and unfortunately the high school she was attending at the time did not uh let's say deal with it correctly um so yeah Sophie does a brilliant job explaining everything that happened but is also super reflective and give some really good insight into how we should be treating um, sexual assault and especially how we should be dealing with it at our high schools. So again, if uh, today you're not quite in the space to hear anything regarding a sexual assault or PTSD, please come back when you're ready. Um, but this is episode two of season two with the lovely Sophie. I hope you enjoy it. It's good to be kind of shorter and sweet. Yeah, I think with this kind of thing. Um, so what I'll do is I'll just kind of say hello, and I'll start by asking you who you are, what you do, and yeah. then we can kind of go into everything. Okay, is that okay with you? Yes. Fuck, I'm hot. <laughs> I'm really sweaty. I hate being in Australia and oh, whatever. Okay. 
Let me just compose myself, my sweaty okay. self. Um, hello, Sophie. Hello. Welcome to If You Don't Mind. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes, I'm very excited. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad. You're number two for season two. Oh, how exciting. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Sophie, could you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what you're about? Yes. So my name's Sophie. I am in my last semester. Well, technically. Just come a bit further. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost done with my law degree. So wow. I'll be working at a corporate commercial firm. Um, yeah, that's me. Wow, a commercial firm. What yes. does that mean? I don't get really law terms. Just essentially means that I work not with criminals. Okay. So, like, anything that's not criminal. Not a criminal lawyer. Yeah. People are like, oh, are you on law and order? I'm like, no, no, nothing exciting. Oh, my gosh. And have you only been studying law at university? Did you do anything before that? I did a – so I started and stopped uni a lot. Yes. Um, one of the things I did was a Bachelor of Economic, Social and Political Studies. Wow, what does that mean? Literally just an arts degree, but Sydney Uni was more kids. <laughs> so they renamed it and people like me are like, yes, that's what I want to be. So, yeah, that was my thing. Oh, I love that. I love it. UCID does have that um, – oh, they're a little bit sneaky with how they name things. They oh, make yeah. it sound much more prestigious than it actually is. It's like you're just doing an arts it's degree. An arts, it's a glorified arts degree. Yeah, it's like I did a comms degree at UTS and it's basically an arts degree. <laughs> some tech in it. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's be honest. But still good. Like, you learn a lot. Yeah. Um, and so, but you, you feel like you've kind of settled into law and that's your passion? Yeah. So um, I started at UTS Law mm-hmm. and then I transferred to Notre Dame Law. And I think I always wanted to do law. Yes. But it was just like one of those things I kept coming back to it, kept coming back to it and being actually like, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I feel like people give lawyers a bad rap. Yes. But... <laughs> Like, no, you have to be super passionate, super driven, super hardworking to make it. And I really admire that in any lawyer, really. I think as well, like, where I work right now, Sparkle Law, <laughs> don't know if I should say that, it's actually, like, an amazing workplace. Like, my team, especially, is just full of really positive people, yeah. fun people. So Aww. they make it you want to go to work. That's so cool. Yeah. I love when you actually go, to, you get to go to work and you enjoy the people you work with, yeah. the team you work with. Oh, I love it. Um, well... You are here today on this very humid, hot Australian day. Again, I will never get over how hot it is. I'm just a very sweaty person. Um, Because you, like everybody else we have on the show, has uh, an amazing story to tell. A very, very long and I guess... Not, I don't want to say complicated, but there's there's a lot of themes to yeah, it, a yeah. lot of lot of layers. Yeah. Um, and I love that you have your notebook here. I do. With your notes. I love preparedness. I really <laughs> do. I really admire it in a person. Um, and I, I, I do say this a lot. I don't think necessarily you need to tell stories in a linear way, but I do want to kind of go roughly to the beginning yeah. and talk about what you told me previously to this interview, and that is your experiences in high school and how that basically shaped you and and led you on this particular path. Yeah. So if it's okay with you, I'd really like to start there. Okay. Yeah. Um, So I moved to my school, which was Ravenswood in year nine, and I had an amazing group of friends. I had a really, like I'm very close with my family. Yes. Something that I'm very lucky about. And where did you move from? Snipes High. Okay, cool. So you're still Sydney-based. Sydney-based, yeah. And... Loved it. Great group of girls. Like one of those schools that you just fit in with straight away. And I met a boy. Ooh. And ooh, we all were like boy crazy at that age. Yes, we were. <laughs> and I, at that time, didn't ever think I'd be having any kind of like sexual relationship before marriage. Not mm-hmm. for religious reasons. It just hadn't crossed my mind yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe I was a bit of a late bloomer. I was too interested in my debating team. Oh, my God. No, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love my debating. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was great. Um and yes, so we, I think he went to a, like a school around the corner mm-hmm. and one day 
I think when you're young, you make decisions that you look back and you hindsight is amazing. Mm. Um, and I decided to go to his house. And looking back at it, I shouldn't have done that. And I um, didn't, didn't want anything. And I don't really remember much. Mm-hmm. But um, I was sexually assaulted by him. Mm-hmm. I think the key part is that I returned straight back to school after it. So I had wagged, I think, chapel. <laughs> chapel, wow. <laughs> the most important. Um, I had left school and then came back into school and I was obviously very overwhelmed, very confused. And one of my friends found me and didn't really know what was going on because we're all kids. Mm. No one had really talked to us about what anything was at that age. Yeah. It's it's a very taboo thing. So Mm -hmm. like in true girl style, we kind of band together. I washed myself. I tried to pretend like everything was fine. And I went down to the nurse and just wiped it from my memory. And I was like, that never happened. My friends and I never talked about it. I think a few of my friends to their credit, tried to approach me about it, mm. but I just shut off, so. And did you, did you continue to have any contact with that, that boy? For a lot of the time, I kind of avoided him, but, like, it kind of fizzled out in, on its own, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like I actively stopped talking, which is something that a lot of people ask me about straight away. They're like, oh, but if that happened, why wouldn't you stop talking? And it's one of those things, if you decide in your brain that never happened, yeah. you just rewrite the past. Yeah, you compartmentalise it yeah. and just keep tracking on. Yeah. Yeah. So from there, I, I think that would be like a significant change. I had made a decision I was fine. I didn't tell my parents, even though I was really close with my parents. And I think the symptoms started pretty quickly, but I hid them quite well. Mm-hmm. So and like, by symptoms, what do, you, what do you mean exactly? Yeah, so PTSD, I had quite a strange, like not strange is the wrong word, but it's very different in every different person. Yes, yes, yes. So yes. there's not like a set of symptoms where it's like, this is a flu, you have a sneeze. Yeah. For me, it was that I had these intense flashbacks. Right. And they were like, I'd drop to the floor and start screaming, like, please stop it, please stop it, uh, very graphically in front of people. But when I wasn't having a flashback, I was pretty, I wasn't really depressed. I was probably quite anxious and tired. But other than that, I didn't have the other symptoms that commonly associated with it. Mm. And I think that was quite difficult. Um, At the time, my school didn't contact my parents, which... Again. Wow, okay. So there was no contact between them? No. Um, as a disclaimer, I don't think that the school did... They, they didn't do the right thing, but they didn't do it out of malice. It was more they didn't understand. There's no process. Yeah. Teachers aren't meant to know everything. Misinformation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and eventually, luckily, I had one of the police talks come in. Right, okay. Yep, and they had safety talk, had an attack. They saw it and they said straight away, you have to tell her parents. So you had an attack at this talk? Yeah. Oh, I, I was getting pretty good. I could walk out of the talk and then have it. So I knew when it was coming on. Wow. Yeah. And how old were you when this was happening? I was probably around 15 and nine months, give or take. Okay. Yeah. That's quite specific, give or take. No, nine no, months. no. Um, and at that age, I think most of my friends, like I, just one particular friend, Jenny, she was... I don't know what happened there. <laughs> it was a bit weird. It's very strange. Just gonna continue. <laughs> I had friends like a particular girl called Jenny, and she would just be amazingly calm with me. She'd make me feel normal, but it wasn't her role. It shouldn't have been her role. Mm-hmm. But she'd sit outside with me while I was having an attack for up to ten minutes, and she quite cleverly figured out if she counted backwards, she could bring me back into like reality. Wow. She'd be like ten, nine, eight get the picture, yeah. down to three, you're safe, you're back here. And she figured that herself. And once she figured that out, she was pretty good at getting me out of them. Mm-hmm. But they were very exhausting. 
Yes, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, I just I imagine it would be similar to like a panic attack where yeah. you have all that adrenaline yeah. and then it's gone and you, you literally feel like you've run a marathon. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It was also quite confusing as well because in my reality, I just lived through a horrible event but I didn't know what had happened in real in real time. Mm. So I'd be rolling around or I might hit my head or wow. I might have said more than I had last time. Yep. Which is obviously quite difficult because you've got a group of 15, 16-year-old girls. They like to gossip. And I was super lucky that everyone in my year was nothing but supportive. Like nobody ever believed me about it. Nobody ever was cruel about it. But I think it must have been very confronting mm. from what I saw. That yep. like I asked them to film me one day. <laughs> I saw, I saw it. You asked them to film you. Yes. Oh, honey. And yeah. you watched that. Yes, I watched it um, because I wanted to know what other people were seeing so I could support them. And it was so personal that yeah. there needed to be, I think, I needed to be separated and I shouldn't have been put outside with, say, my friends, maybe teacher or something. Yeah. It's a very difficult situation. Yeah. Yeah. And wait, so were your teachers aware of what had happened? I assume from, yes. Okay. I think that... Like, it didn't, wouldn't take much to put together from mm-hmm. what I was saying in the flashbacks. Got it. Please stop. Don't do this. I don't want this. It hurts. Like, really common catchphrases. I think they could have put it together. And when you, when you had this uh, police officer come in and, and, and talk to your school, did you actually go to the police station and, and report this? Or was it more of a conversation with, a, like, an off-duty police officer? Or? So what happened was that day that my teacher said, uh, that they said to the teacher, you have to get her to tell her parents. They brought me into the office and said, you have to go home and tell your parents tonight, which is an incredible amount of pressure. And I yeah. will never forget sitting my parents down and just like, I just said it in one really quick, you can tell I speak fast, but quick <laughs> sentence. It's all oh, good. <laughs> faster than this. And it just broke them. Yeah. I think that was really difficult. And from there, we contacted the police. But I think I chose not to go and report it to take it to the full extent and sign the statement because I was scared. Hmm. And there was a lot of questions and everybody was asking me things and everybody was wanting things from me. And most of all, I didn't really know what I had. Well, yeah, and I guess you wouldn't have had the tools or the time to even process what had yeah. happened, let alone what was happening because of that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And I was quite, I am quite a, a strong-willed person. So yeah. I had decided, no, this isn't going to affect me. So I was very hesitant to accept that I had issues with anxiety. I had issues with uh, cl- like close spaces or I had issues with intimacy or any of those issues, mm. I was convinced like this would never affect me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Often these things do yeah. <laughs> catch, us up, catch up with us. So I guess when you had finally, I mean, been given the chance to speak to your parents, yeah. what, what happened in your life? Were you, were you offered therapy? Did you go and see someone or was it, was it just kind of a thing that you resolved to deal with on your own? Uh, it was a bit of a long journey. I went in and out of therapy, but the issue was that I wouldn't have attacks outside of my school because that was the first place I woke up. Right. Um, so they tried to put me into a hospital and they thought that might help, like in a treatment facility. The entire three weeks were there, I didn't have any attacks. So I ended up just really enjoying the arts and craft, getting really fit, <laughs> so, living on the private healthcare, um, but nothing like that kind of helped. And I think... I was getting very exhausted from school. I think during this time, getting to year 11, year 12, HSC. Yeah. Was Already of, such a stressful time. Yeah, a yeah. lot of pressure. Yeah. And I wasn't, you know, number one in the class, but I also was quite a strong student and I mm. knew I had potential. Mm. I think a lot of people kept saying, oh, you have potential, you have potential. So we tried 
like a lot of different things and my parents without them I don't know where I'd be because they kept coming back to me and they kept coming back even when I pushed them away and said I was fine and they could see I wasn't we tried medication turned out to be allergic to it like we tried all these things Wow, allergic to it I had a sensitivity and when I went to the doctor they thought I was you know maybe playing it up because I didn't want to eat yeah <laughs> and then it's probably TMI but my mom was like no no she's burping and like a lot <laughs> like there is something going There's in gas on. happening <laughs> yeah yeah what you say there's a lot of gas <laughs> and eventually they did a test and found that I was really sensitive to this particular drug wow um and it was actually helping me reduce my attacks but it, the stomach's like issues were so uncomfortable that I kind of went off it yeah. so there was a lot of different attempts at a solution but there weren't many maybe targeted at my age got it okay and at any point in this period of time did anyone mention the term complex PTSD to you no Okay, so I guess that's another thing that I'm really interested to kind of know about because I know with complex PTSD, it's quite hard to diagnose. It often happens quite down the track that people kind of get this diagnosis. At what point during your life did that kind of come to fruition? I think, oh, sorry, to clarify, like it was when I think people were talking to my parents and they'd be like PTSD and there wasn't like a really conversation of what it was. So I took to Googling. Oh, yes, we all do that. Mm -hmm. I was like, what is PTSD? How do I cure? And I remember reading a blog and it was like this woman saying 10 years on, she's starting to feel better. And I was just in shock because there's not even that much information about PTSD. It it tends to relate, and it should, but it tends to relate to war veterans. Yes, I think think the the whole idea is like you have a really, really big traumatic event and then you go home and you just have lots of flashbacks and yeah. you're under the table and you're hearing gunshots. Yeah. Like that's what we imagine is PTSD. Yeah. But like complex PTSD, I guess, is much more complex. <laughs> yeah. Hence the name. Yeah. I think as well the difference that I found was that my perception of PTSD was that you were permanently walking around, for lack of a better word, as crazy. Mm. But for the most part I was functioning I was feeling fine and then I'd have these waves of absolute terror and they were often associated to things that normal teenagers would do yeah and it was very difficult to explain to people because it's also kind of an awkward topic like having your first boyfriend everything like that going to concerts they're all really difficult things to overcome Mm. and very personal Mm -hmm. and I think that was for me I didn't know anyone else had been through what I'd been so I was just kind of navigating my way around a world of like I'd never met anyone else with PTSD Mm. I'd never met anyone else that had been sexually assaulted at my age I knew it from movies or tv shows but yes and this is the thing I I I hear this time and time again is a lot of people especially I mean what how old are you roughly 25 yeah so we're the same age and I think a lot of the time the first instances of like mental illness or assault that kind of thing that we're exposed to is through tv or movie or that kind of thing and it's completely I don't know it's it's a it's not a real version of what it's like and it's not a real representation and so then when you experience it you're just like I don't know what this thing is I have nothing to compare it to and quite often if you are experiencing it young you have no tools to communicate with your other peers about it so it's very isolating it is you have no context it's terrifying because you also especially found for me I wanted to protect my friends from it Wow. um, because I knew I kind of like describe it as once you see some like side of the world, that kind of evil, mm. and want, you can't unsee that. Yeah. And I was so conscious that I wanted to protect my friends from it and protect almost my family from it that I started to isolate myself. Like I'd still go to everything, mm. but I described it to my friend once as feeling really old. 
Yeah. So I'd be hanging out at, like, I remember a party when I was 17 and everyone was dressing up for formal and they were so excited for getting dressed up. And I, I was just sitting there and I just remember thinking, like, I want you to have a good time. I want you to enjoy this completely innocent good time. Yeah. But I couldn't yeah. because I was just in my head and I'd just seen so much and I hadn't processed anything yet. Far out. It was, like, completely skewing your worldview. Yeah. It changes, especially when you grow up in, like, such a happy family that had so much love and surrounded in such a good world and suddenly kind of shatters in a moment because you realise that those things you've seen in the movie are actually real. Yeah, they're reality. Yeah. When you got to university... Yeah. Did you get a chance to start kind of reaching out to people and finding people who had been through similar situations? Did you did you access kind of, like, any networks or anything like that or was it still kind of something that you were dealing with on your own? Yeah. Uh, kind of on my own. I think by then I'd come to terms with it more. Mm. Having So I ended up doing the HSC. So I ended up leaving Ravenswood or being mm. asked to leave Ravenswood because of my attacks. You were asked to leave? Yeah. Right. So what was the rationale behind that? <laughs> so I think there was a lot of pressure. I kept... I think this is the thing that I really wanted to stress. Yeah. You've got to listen to the people that are going through it. I was telling them, I'm not coping. I'm mm. not coping. I need to drop out. And everyone kept telling me, you've got this. You're smart. You look fine. You're just having a few attacks. You've got this. You've got this. Eventually, I snapped and had a full breakdown and um, ran away for, a, like, a night. Mm. And then I was assaulted again. And that was... Wow. Okay, so you were you were experiencing pretty severe PTSD from being assaulted once. And yeah. you were actually assaulted again yeah. the night you, you, you ran away. Yeah. Wow, okay. After, like, it's a very confusing story. No, no, no. I just, that's an, an intense thing to experience. It was, and I think... And was this by a, a stranger? It was a stranger. Okay. Um, a stranger. And I had had a fight with my friend Jenny. Yep. Um, and she was worried about me. I was very unwell. I was very unwell. Mm. And she could see it. And I was saying, I'm fine, I'm fine. I just want to be okay. And I remember one of my friends saying, just don't have an attack when we have the trials. Just, just put it off till after. And they meant well. Yeah. And they were But like, that would have obviously stressed you out a yes. lot. Mm. <laughs> Wasn't ideal. Mm. And I remember just thinking that I couldn't do this to my friends anymore. That was like a consistent thing. I thought that I was a burden on them. Right. And HSC is already such a burden anyway. Oh, my God, on everybody. Yeah. Terrible system. It's, a hor- it's horrible. Hmm. It's like a torture chamber. Oh, yeah. I wish I, I would... If there was some sort of, like, way to... A petition to get rid of the HSC, I would oh, sign it a I thousand times. It. Yeah. In a minute. And at the time, I thought it was the most important thing, that informal. Mm. So... <laughs> that informal. Yeah. I... One of, the, one of the staff members noticed an issue, miscommunication in the staff, and I ended up by myself on the Oval. And I just remember looking around. That's the last thing I remember. And running. Yeah. I used to like running. Used to. Yeah. Um, and after that, I came back. And I had one teacher. I came back into school after, like, took some time off, went to hospital, had this whole ordeal, came back in, and none of my friends were in the playground. Wow. And I was super confused because I was like, there's no one here. And I walked down to the main court and I realised that something had to be wrong because nobody I was in that group, my yeah. group, was in the vicinity. Okay. And wow. a particular girl came up to me and she said, Sophie, they're having a meeting about you. What? And they had a meeting where they decided it was a good idea to put maybe 14 girls in a room and debate what my future education should be and whether... And some girls were really defensive, saying she should stay. Some were saying she's not well, like... She needs this, she needs this. So you're saying that 
a group of 17-year-old girls yep. and, I don't know, a few fa- facu- like faculty. faculty members yep. were debating whether you should be at school or not. Or their, yeah, or their opinion of what happened and had had a full conversation about it. How, I mean, I can... That makes me want to, like... That makes me so angry. How, how did that affect you? How did you react to that? That was, like, the catalyst for probably my reaction up until now, these, like, to this day. Yeah. That was mortifying. Of everything that happened to me, that was probably the worst thing I, that could have been done to someone that's been through a sexual assault because it's isolating them and making them feel like... It's they, their fault. It's their fault and they've done something wrong. Even though, and I say this, like, the school meant well, but they didn't have the equipment or the skills or the knowledge to understand that doing that, and especially doing that on a day that I was meant to be returning to school after one of the most traumatic nights of my life, if not the most, mm. and then to come back to see no, none of my friends, none of the familiar faces, and then I went into class and we had these glass rooms, mm. And I got pulled out of class in my favourite subject, legal studies, ironically. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and the teacher said to me, you can't attend Ravenswood anymore, but make sure you go back in and, like, don't make a scene, finish the class and, like, pack up and then meet your parents at the nurse station. So <sighs> that was, like, that was it. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm so... I'm, I've heard a lot of ridiculous things on this podcast, but that is... Yeah. That, that, that's fucked. Yeah. There's no other term for it. Oh, you can swear. That's fucked. Yeah. That's honestly fucked. Like, I, I understand where you're coming from in terms of like you're saying that they didn't have the tools, they didn't have the knowledge. Yeah. That kind of thing. But oh my God, like, it's not, that wasn't long ago. Like, no. You'd think that in the 2000s, yes. we'd have a little bit better knowledge or, a better, a better skill set to deal with this kind of thing. I definitely think that as well. And I think that the idea that it made me think that my emotions weren't valid, like I shouldn't go back there and be upset. You should just go back there and be strong. And I'd been trying to be strong. And honestly, every time I'd have an attack, I'd have a bit of a laugh and be like, guys, I'm like, Jesus, I've revived. And I made a whole joke out of it. And this is the first time that I realised that like I was being told, no, don't have emotions, go back. You can't be here anymore. You're not one of us. So no. I left and my parents... Yes, love them. <laughs> they came in to the nursing office and they were furious. And there was just so much. I remember fighting and like, we can do this and this. And over the next week, my parents spent every day calling the school, negotiating, negotiating. Can she do this? Can she finish the HSC? Can we have this? And there was all these conversations going on and they were supporting me, but they didn't, I think, they were so interested. And I think they did the right thing in pursuing the school. I don't think anyone realised how much that was breaking me. Yeah. Because everybody was talking about me. Yeah. But I wasn't there. But eventually they managed to negotiate with some of the teachers who agreed to teach me outside of school as long as I was accompanied on and off the grounds. Like you're some sort of like, I don't know, del- I hate the term delinquent, but I am try- I can't think of yeah. any other word. Like you're some sort of like, I don't know, th- there's some way that you could harm people. Yeah, some like aggressive delinquent that was going to like attack people out of nowhere, which is so bizarre because... You're you're an assault survivor. Like, yeah. This is you're the one who's who's experienced the, the the trauma and the assault, and you're being made to feel like you were somehow the perpetrator. Yeah, it was it was quite a bizarre experience. I think the more bizarre experience was having my parents walk me up like in primary school to these teachers, and these teachers, obviously, a lot of them didn't agree with the school's approach of because course. they were teaching me at four thirty in the afternoon out of their own time. Wow. Or 3.30 in the afternoon, straight after class, I'd spend an hour going over the HSC things. Yeah. 
Um, and one particular teacher, like I had a soft spot for him on one level. Um, and one day he said to me, you can either fight the system by, he's like, you have two options. You can just do whatever you want, kick off, just pretend like you don't care about the world and that's how you can fight it. Or he's like, or you can do the right thing, which is to show them that they're wrong and that you have potential. And I remember when he said that, he worded it much better. <laughs> <laughs> Can't say it that well. They always do. But yeah, he said to me like, and that stuck, st- stuck with me. I was like, I'm going to show them that I can do this HSE. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether I don't get to go to, you know, all the school events. I don't get to graduate with everyone. I'm going to do it. And I did it in my, like, dining room room every day and got up, like, and did the HSE with the supervisor there. Mm. And I had, luckily, I'm very fortunate that my parents did have the, um, what am I trying to say? They had the financial resources to assist me with tutors and things. And, you know, they took time off work, they looked after me, they helped me study, and I managed to do it in my bedroom. Wow. But how, I, how many months were you studying by yourself for? Probably two months. Two months. That's a, that's a long period of time to be isolated and yeah. by yourself. And it was a long time, I guess like two months, it's hard to know the time frame, but it was a long time to feel like you weren't with everyone else. And I guess for me, like I said, formal was such a big thing. Yeah. And I wasn't allowed to go to formal. No, that's the worst thing you can do to a 17-year-old girl. That's such a generalisation. But, like, it's so true. And it wasn't that I even um, was that unwell. At the stage, my parents said, we'll hire, like, paramedics. We'll hire our friend who's a doctor. We'll have security there. Like, we'll do anything. Just so let her go. Just let her go. And Dad was like, I will stand in the room. Like, I will literally stand in the room like this big old oh, white I man. I love your dad. <laughs> I don't even know him, but I want to give him a hug and be like, you're beautiful. And my mum, like, they were so devastated for me and that devastated me more. But we decided that I'd go to the prees. So the beautiful Silic family let me come to the prees. Yep. And I went with the girls and they had all their dresses on. And then I took photos with them in my, like, my pants and a top. And then I watched them all get on a bus and I waved them off. And that was gut-wrenching. That was... Oh, even heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. Not because, you know, look back now and for some people form was such a nothing thing. Yeah. For me, it was this thing that's terrible has happened to you. Now you're marked. You're scar- You're not one of us. You're the other. But I had these supportive parents that were hugging me and, like, my parents are very lucky. They had mothers rallying around them. I had my friends rallying around me. But in the end, it didn't matter. Like, I was there. I went to the movies during formal. They went to the formal. I, I mean... I'm speechless in many ways, but I guess the thing that keeps come ro- like rolling in my head is like this is just classic society's yeah I don't know like default to it's too hard to help the person who is the assault survivor, the person who has experienced the assault. It's easier to take them out of the equation yeah. than to make things easier for them, I and that's I think is just it, I mean it's disgusting, but it's like and it came. I guess it came to fruition at the after party where we had, like, one of the parents say, oh, look, I don't know if we can have Sophie there. Like, she might be a bit, you know, she might be unwell. And my dad, again, came to the afters and stayed downstairs at the afters. Oh, and, like, I'm cool man. with that because he's funny. Yeah. <laughs> and my mum was there. My mum didn't do that part because that would have been hard on her. But I guess the entire thing was you were isolating someone because you couldn't understand what they'd been through. Yeah. Because it's not... If I had had cancer or if I had had a broken spine or anything like that people would have rallied around but because it's something that's intangible and they can't see the physical effect of it yeah they can't cope with it yes and it's also very 
uncomfortable for yeah. people to talk about, especially when it's something that's happened to someone so young and yeah. and ugh, I don't know, like. I mean, I, I understand why people get uncomfortable. But being uncomfortable does not give you the right to just exclude a person exactly. and to not deal with it. Which is why I think that having conversations more at school about sexual assault, making it something like, to this day, it's taken me a long time to be able to say the words rape and sexual assault. Mm. I couldn't say them for so long. Mm. Um, and on like the school, they let me go to the valedictory, which is like my parents. <laughs> and we were all so nervous. We were running late, I think. My dad, like, got stuck in the traffic. We're all screaming at each other, Mum and I. <laughs> Love those car rides. <laughs> Stressful car rides with your family. And everybody didn't, like, I walked in the room and everyone looked at me. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I can't do this. I can't do this. And we sat down at this table and I leant over to my dad in the middle of the, the head teacher's, I don't want to say his name, the head teacher's speech and said, Dad, I can't do this. And that was just all too much. Dad cracked and he just passed out. So dad passed out. Yeah, he fainted. So it became this oh my god! It became this comical thing that everyone thought I was going to have an attack in front of everyone. And your dad fainted. And my mom was like hysterical. And then we just couldn't stop laughing. And I then like that moment when I saw my dad faint, realized yeah. he's actually okay. He's just fainted. Yeah, dramatic. <laughs> that I needed to forgive people. So I went up on the stage and I remember I shook the the guy's hand that had asked me to leave the school, and I started going up to people and being like, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm fine, look at me, you can talk to me. A yeah. lot of friends that I'd lost contact with or been kind of resentful to, I started to open up and I decided then that if I keep perpetuating the isolation by like moving away from people, that I'm losing people not because they've done anything that wrong because they don't understand it and then it'll happen to someone else, Yeah, if that makes sense. But do you know how brave that is though, to be the person who has experienced the assault, experienced the trauma, then to be excluded from basically you know society in some way shape or form because yep. school is society when you're that age yep. and then to be like you know what I forgive you like <laughs> a lot of people wouldn't do that that is that is like fucking incredible and I hope you realize that looking back at it sometimes I'm like that's a little mental no but I <laughs> but it, I feel like maybe it's also just a reflection of your character and the fact that like you know, you can, some people are just too good and too <laughs> wonderful and too lovely. And even when people, you know, are terrible to them and, and isolate them, they're still forgiving. And I think that is an incredible quality. I think that I can definitely put to my parents though, because, and my brother, I mm. should say, and my brother as well. But my mum, my dad and my brother never, ever made me feel like I was any different. Mm. And they had unconditional love. And I think without that unconditional love, I wouldn't have been able to turn around and have unconditional love for other people. Yeah. And that's not to say that, like, as I got to uni, I had a lot of really negative relationships with males, like very negative relationships, because mm. I hadn't learned how to love myself yet. Of course. But what got me out of those relationships was this constant love from friends, love from family and support. And, like, I think I had some really nice partners. Like, I've dated a few people. Mm -hmm. And I just wish they had had information or resources to understand what I was going through so it wasn't personal yes when I didn't want to engage with sex with them yes it wasn't about them it was about me and yeah. there's just so many people that I think have been so supportive that have let me get let me get through it that I don't think other people will be as lucky to have because there's no education around it and did you have when you you know you started kind of pursuing relationships and stuff did you have the tools to kind of explain what had happened or did you also kind of feel like you, you didn't really know the right way or the correct way to to handle that kind of stuff? Did you find it? 
Oh, difficult? It was so difficult. Like a minefield, I it was, guess. It was a minefield and people would say, so what do you need? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just, in my head, I'm like, I'm just a kid. Yeah. <laughs> this is weird. And I'd have like, I had a quite long-term boyfriend and I yeah. could see it was wearing at him and wearing at him because I would switch motions at random stages. There'd be something, like there'd be a smell that triggers me. Mm. And to try and convey someone that a smell is disturbing, they're just like, but, but what's the smell? I'm like, I can't tell you the smell. I yes I I actually I have had that I I remember when I was at this like I've spoken about it on last last season when I had this you know severe I don't know trip and yeah I was it made me literally have a nervous breakdown and I remember lots of people smoking around me while while it happened and yeah. for the longest time I couldn't be around cigarette smoke because yep. it just like triggered it all and funnily enough it's one of our strongest senses yeah and we tend to disregard it but smells go through you and you associate smells with certain uh, people and I actually think looking back at it now I could have a conversation with him and I have had a conversation with this particular person and being like this is what was happening it was a trigger this is why it was a trigger mm-hmm. probably had something to do with my assault that caused me the flight or fight reaction I'm quite a fighter so I'd act out mm. but back then when I'm like 19 I didn't know what was going on no I was just like off screaming at people and when you Okay, so I guess when you got to university and you, you started your university career, as yeah. they say to us, um, did you did you start to kind of find ways or like you know uh, uncover tools to kind of deal with it? Was it a, was it a very slow kind of process, even in in university? Oh, it was a very slow process. Yeah, I think opening up to people and being more honest as yeah. I got to uni and having been able to tell people and have control of my story mm-hmm. was a big thing and take and own it, which is. Kind of why I'm doing like owning and kudos to you. Well yes. done. So you own your story and you just stop being embarrassed um, slowly. You don't just happen overnight. No, yeah. But I ended up having a psychologist that I really connected with, and some of the tools she gave me was as simple as like tapping your fingers and checking the locks. And when I moved out, checking the locks just absolutely changes my sleep. If really? I just go in like have a little like, yeah, I know it's locked. You know it's locked, even though the chance of anyone walking through the door is nothing. It's little exercises that you put in place that help you um recently as well I've noticed with clubs if I am out in a group of clubs I like to look where the exit is yes yeah small tiny thing but it just makes me feel so much more comfortable of course and I've started as well learning to be okay with putting up barriers so recently someone called Tim (laughs) classic (laughs) Tim has been amazing at helping me learn these things about it's okay to put up barriers and he, I think, up until now, I've been, like, a little bit overly cautious about being, like, no, that's okay. Mm. Like, actually, no, I don't want to be hugged. It's okay to say no. It's, it's fine. Of course. And I think that that's something that we kind of, we might overstep our mark sometimes when we go to a club and we just start jumping or hugging on people or, like, like being overly affectionate. You've just got to be careful and make sure that both parties are, like, okay with it. Yes, not everybody is down for what you're Yeah, you're not giving. everyone's a hugger. And sometimes when you're in a dark room, you just don't want to hug people. Was that, I mean... <laughs> I think every, nearly every woman has probably experienced a gross, sleazy man. I mean, it's fucked, but grab their butt, yep. like, yep. you know, all that kind of stuff. Yep. What was that like for you when you started kind of going out and, and that, being in dark spaces with lots of men? Like, was that very hard? Did you have attacks? Were you yep. very anxious? There's been a lot of times where I've had attacks because of that. I've hidden a lot of attacks from my friends. Mm-hmm. I've played it up like I need to go to the bathroom a lot, but... That is so difficult because it's already so difficult to be a woman and go out to a club. Yeah. And there are so many things that are not okay that we kind of brush off. But 
when you have PTSD, you have you're working on like I kind of describe it. It's like you're on heightened senses all the time. So you're you almost always feel high, like you're running around, you've got adrenaline. And so when one little thing pushes you, you go straight from going, oh, this could be a little incident to this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen to me. Hmm. And you jump straight there and you go straight into flight or fright mode. And for me, that's an attack. Yeah. As I've got older, I don't have an attacks as much anymore. But what I do get is I get that fear. So I have to remove myself from the situation. I find calling my mom <laughs> really helpful. No, I love that. Yeah. It's always good to have someone to call. Yeah. A and partner, like, your parents. I've had partners that have been good to call. I've had like friends that are good to call. And it's just checking back in with someone and reminding yourself that this now is reality. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. One thing you, you wrote, so I, I get everybody to fill out a, a particip... don't know what that was. So many weird words. <laughs> ah, don't know what's happening. Um, so I get everybody to fill out a participant form so I can find out all about, I don't know what's going on, <laughs> what's going on, um, about you know their experiences and that kind of thing. Yeah. And then not only did you send me a participant form, you also sent me a whole, a whole Word document about your thoughts and feelings and I felt like such an overachiever like, no I fucking loved it I was like yeah, what up everyone tell me all your stuff there was one sentence that really struck a chord with me above anything you wrote and that was I wish I could tell my parents and my family that there isn't a manual for pain yeah could you could you just like I don't know speak to that because I thought that was just very powerful yeah I remember writing that it's people want to have an answer of why something particularly hurt so much there's no way to get over it and everyone's always looking for a solution for pain they're always trying to and because they love you so much Mm. and your friends love you so much they want to fix things but there isn't one way to fix things and there isn't one way to fix pain and what might work one day absolutely devastates you the next day and I think that's been a big learning curve for me with PTSD is learning that one day I can be completely and utterly happy and think that nothing ever happened and just be walking on cloud nine. And the next day I could be on the bus and someone might brush past me and it just feels like I'm 15 again. Hmm. And to describe that to people is so difficult because they tend to turn around and be like, oh, but yesterday you were okay. You've been doing so well. You're fine last week. Like, yeah, we like neatness. Yeah, <laughs> you like consistency. Like yes. if you're going downhill, you're going downhill. Yes. If you're going uphill, you're going uphill. But it's never that simple. And sometimes you don't even realise where you're at. And to convey to people how hard it is with dreams, like having nightmares, having sleep, like issues with sleep. Hmm. I don't have an explanation for the reason I have these things. Yeah. And sometimes I wish I could tell everyone like I don't know what's going on I'm as confused as you are Mm. and I experience pain it's like a journey you experience the pain differently as you go along and as PTSD develops it kind of it's like an awkward friend it just follows you everywhere Mm. and you have to kind of adjust to having it around you and it changes how you feel it and every time it changes you have to adapt to it yeah and I don't think you ever cured from it no you just kind of learn to live with it I guess learn to live with it yeah that's so apt and articulate and thoughtful and very impressed. <laughs> very impressed by you. Um, look, we're nearly, we're nearly out of time, but there was a few things I, I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Um, I guess the first one would be, say in a hypothetical world, you were in charge of, I don't know, policy when it comes to how schools deal with this yeah. kind of thing. Um, when it comes to students who experience sexual assault and how they then, you know, 
work with them to get yeah. better and get help. What would you put in place or what would you change about the system right now? I think it has to be less reactive. Okay. Uh, I think it has to be more... So with less reactive, I think there needs to be some kind of, you know, in class when we learn PDHD, PD? PDHPE. Yeah, PDHPE. Yeah. There should be some kind of class where we discuss it early on. Yes. So it's an open conversation. I think that the worst thing that you could possibly do to someone who's been sexually assaulted is to isolate them. Hmm. I think that it's okay to want to put in a plan, but there needs to be resources that they, like teachers talk to people, psychologists, and have an open conversation where you sit down and put together a plan. Because the minute you start reacting to things, the reasons the reason Ravenswood, I think, kicked me out so abruptly was because they hadn't had a plan up to then. They got defensive and they went full 360. Up until yeah. then, they were kind of letting me do my own thing, letting me run at lunch, letting me do whatever I wanted. And so you need to have kind of a support network that's there and an open, especially at a girls' school, I think, that's open communication so they feel comfortable that they can come. Actually, no, I take that back at boys and girls schools, at all <laughs> schools, but that they feel comfortable that they come, can come and talk and that there's a strategy and a plan. Yes. If that makes sense. No, I 100% agree. I think everything needs to have... Like, these plans should be flexible, obviously, yeah. because what what plan you come up with for someone might yeah. not work for another person. Yeah. So I think being flexible with that kind of planning is important, but I think you're totally right. Like, if you don't have a structure in place, yeah. how are you meant to deal with this kind yeah. of thing? It should be like you have a first aid plan for if someone has cardiac arrest or if someone has... And um, EpiPen, there's like, you have a kind of a process, yeah. an emergency plan. Yeah. Yeah. Very smart. I like that. I yeah. like that answer. And I guess my second question would be, and this is what I always ask at the end of every episode, if people listen to it, they know. Um, <laughs> for someone who has uh, recently or in their past uh, experienced sexual assault and is, I don't know, they don't necessarily have to be dealing with complex PTSD, but yeah. just a, a dealing with the... Uh, with the experience and the trauma, what would be your advice to them in terms of how to seek help? I thought about this on what I'd tell my 15-year-old self and I really just thought two things. You're not alone. Mm-hmm. You're not alone and there are so many people and the minute you start to open up to people and be honest, you'll be surprised how many people come forward and say what they've been through. I think that one's a big one. Mm. And then at the same time, you're an individual. So they kind of complement each other. Because in one sense, so many people go through sexual assault, but everyone goes through it differently. And for a long time, I thought that my symptoms were so weird and so wrong and so awkward, but there's no right way to deal with it. You just have to do what you think is okay, and it's okay to ask for help, and it's okay to not know what you're doing. And one last thing. (laughs) No, you go for it. You tell me me it all. (laughs) The last thing I would have said to my 15 your old self was that you can't be there for everyone yeah look after yourself be okay don't try and hide it from everyone because you think you have to protect people because people are strong Mm. and they have each other so yeah I love that yeah Sophie thank you so much for being on the show I I am so impressed by your courage and your resilience and I think everything you've said is completely right. I feel like if we can get to a point in society where we're not reacting to stuff, yeah, um, we have plans in place, um, preventative measures, you know, society would be so much better for it. But I it feel, feel like also people <laughs> like you who are sharing the story, that's how we also create change. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you, Sophie. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Hey, 
Hey everybody, that was an intense one, right? I found myself getting really, really fucking angry quite a few times during that interview, mainly because I just couldn't believe that this was the way that someone had been treated. I, yeah, I, I really, really struggled a few times, but I think Sophie did such an amazing job at retelling that story and she was so, so brave. And I think what she said about the fact that we need to stop being so reactive and we need to think and plan as to how we are going to deal with these situations when they arise is so, is really at the crux of everything. I think it really, really is. Yeah, I mean, she's just fantastic. So thank you so much, Sophie, for, for, for coming on the show. I think it's often incredibly hard to tell stories when they surround when they entail uh, such a uh, incredible trauma, especially that one that was suffered at such a young age. So yeah, she's so incredibly brave. If you don't mind, hey, hey, I'm going to do <laughs> so lame. I'm so lame. Um, I'm going to do my little social media spiel because I really like to connect with people and I really like getting messages. It really makes my day. Like if I'm having a really shitty day and Like the other day, I don't know, I was really sad for some reason. I'm not sure why. Um, And someone messaged me about the show and it just literally just put a smile on my face and it makes me feel like I'm what I'm doing isn't just a complete waste of time. And I think that's sometimes how, I don't know, creatives feel like they're putting this thing out but they don't really know if anyone cares about it and it's really cool when people tell me they care about it. So thank you. Um... You can reach me on Facebook. Just type in if you don't mind. And I'm pretty sure like I'm the first search thing. I'm the first at the search bar. So that's pretty cool. Well, you know what I mean? Like I'm the first search. I appear the first the first thing you, you see when you... I don't even know. I'm so tired, guys. Um, if you type in if you don't mind to Instagram, you'll find me there. Given up on Twitter, don't care about it anymore. So I'm never going to mention it again. Um, if you want to be on the show or just have a chat, you can reach me at if you don't mind podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, I have a Patreon. And if you'd like to become a patron for as little as $2 a month, just type in if you don't mind to Patreon and you will see the podcast. And one final thing. If you are on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please follow me or subscribe or review or do whatever you can just so I know that people are liking it and that people are listening. Um, I really I really just love any interaction. It makes my day. So as I always say, be kind to yourselves, be kind to one another. And if you have the chance to sit down and talk to someone and listen to their story, please do because it really does make the world of difference. Bye guys.